The 10-Minute Writers' Workshop is supported by Heinemann, a provider of resources written by real teachers for real classrooms. Heinemann values teachers as decision-makers and students as curious learners. Discover the path to lifelong professional learning at Heinemann.com. Heinemann, dedicated to teachers. Hello, executive producer Maureen McMurray. Hello, host Virginia Prescott. What kind of foodish, writerish facts do you have for us today? Did you know that poet Emily Dickinson, like Sylvia Plath, an avid baker? No way. Yes. So I she, thought she never came out of the attic. Well, two things about that. Number one, when she would come out of the attic, she used to connect with people through her baking and give baked goods as gifts. And allegedly, when she was kind of living as a recluse in her home in Amherst, Massachusetts, she would lower baskets of no. breads and gifts to children below. Really? Yes. Another reason to love Emily Dickinson. And especially getting it lowered in a basket to you. That is kind of like Blue Apron. But it really is. Just like the basket of goodies, Blue Apron will send you pre-portioned ingredients right to your doorstep. You can check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash 10 minute. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash 10 minute. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. I'm Victoria Schwab, and this is the 10 Minute Writers Workshop. Victoria Schwab, V.E. Schwab, V. The author's name depends on her audience, which, like the dark worlds that she builds, is a well thought out design. Ms. Schwab, will say, burst onto the scene in 2011 with The Near Witch. A dozen books later, adult, young adult, and middle grade readers have followed her into supernatural worlds, sinister scenarios, and richly formed fantasy metropolises. Her newest novel, A Conjuring of Light, is part three and the culmination of the Shades of Magic fantasy series. We reached Victoria Schwab at her home in Nashville via Skype. I admit I was curious about which name you would use to introduce yourself, because you are Victoria Schwab, you are V.E. Schwab. Who have we got today? Well, I'm all the same person. People are, every now and then I get a reader who doesn't realize that Victoria Schwab and V.E. Schwab are the same, and it's kind of fun, because um, they're both me. I'm Victoria Elizabeth, or V.E., and part of it is just that I like having a little bit of brand differentiation between what I write for kids and what I write for adults. I, I wouldn't necessarily want one of my eight or nine-year-old readers to pick up something like Vicious, which is quite dark. The other reason and kind of more the more frank answer is that, you know, adult fantasy is a very uh, male-dominant and male-centric industry. And you would be amazed how many times I get told by female readers that they're so glad they didn't know I was a woman or else they wouldn't have picked up my book. Really? God, how does that make you feel? Oh, it's awful. I mean, I'm glad they do. I'm glad they pick it up. And my philosophy is always that I would rather um, kind of take down that patriarchy notion from the inside. So I, I like it when I get male readers who are surprised to find out that I'm a woman, but they figure it out after they've read and liked my books. <laughs> and I'm like, now you can go and you can deal with your like kind of entrenched misogyny on your own time. But <laughs> Let's I would hope. Keep... <laughs> I would hate for someone not to pick up my book because of the name on the cover. Plus, I also just kind of feel like a VE. If I had my druthers now, if I could go back, I think I would brand everything that way. There's something a little bit more 
cool and chic about just the VE on the cover. Yeah, I have to agree with that. A lot of my friends just call me V and I think it's pretty sleek. People call me V on the internet, but I think it's more just that they're lazy and it's seven letters shorter than Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> how about, you know, besides that strategy and the brand differentiation, how about you as a writer? Do you have to kind of put on different hats or personalities writing for those various different audiences? You know, it's interesting. A lot of people assume that my younger books are somehow lighter and my adult, my adult books are darker. It's really not the case at all. If anything, I figure out early on that the only real differentiation for me is the kind of humor. I think that dark humor is something we pick up on our way out of our teen years, not our way in. And so my adult books tend to have a thread of very kind of gallows humor to them. Whereas my uh, middle grade and YA have a bit more of an authentic voice. But really, for me, the primary differentiation between all my books is I'm simply writing to a different version of myself. Hmm. I'm writing a book to 10 year old me or 19 year old me or 29 year old me. And I was weird at all of those ages. So they're they're always going to be strange books. But I, I really don't sit down with my YA novels and think any differently from my adult novels. Obviously, the stories are very different. So the hardest part for me changing gears is not thinking about the audience, but thinking about the characters and the story and the world and just getting myself into a different headspace, a different kind of narrative, whether it's a thriller or a fantasy or just a classic action adventure. There's a lot of other factors you have to worry about without kind of getting into. And now I'm writing for teenagers, you know. And do those various different yous at different ages, do they look like you actually did and act like you actually did? Or is it sort of the more perfect version of you? Oh, God, no. My characters are just as flawed as I was. I'm definitely one of those kids that was pretty dark and pretty morbid, and I'm writing to that self. I tend to write about strong female characters, and I tend to make them fairly self-interested because I think there's this trend in... YA, and to be honest, in most fiction, where if you have a powerful female character, they also must be selfless. They have to be willing to kind of throw it away to save the world. At 16, I would have let the world burn if it meant I could be happy. <laughs> you know, I just don't, I don't subscribe to this idea that, that girls should have to be willing to give up their power and men should should get to like embrace it. Well, now your new book, A Conjuring of Light, this is book three of the A Darker Shade of Magic series, and you've made it clear that it will be the last in this series. Do you plot series out ahead of time? You know, do you know what's going to happen and know when it's going to end? I knew the ending for the Black Magic arc uh, when I started Darker Shade of Magic. I didn't know exactly how many books it would take me to get to the ending. I didn't know if it would be two or three or four, but I knew what the ending was. I need to have an end point because if I'm having a bad day, it keeps me from quitting. And if I'm having a good day, then I look forward to getting to the end. So how do you know when you're done? Oh my goodness, you don't. I don't remember which famous author said that like, you're never done, you're just finished. It gets taken away from you. <laughs> you know, that's how you know that you're done. Well, you're no, writing I, about magic. I mean, a lot of people we've spoken to describe a kind of magic of the creative process. Do, do you experience that? No. What I experience is a point at which I'm reading through what I've written, and I start reading it as a reader instead of a writer. Hmm. That's usually when I know that it's ready to go to print, is when I enjoy reading it. 
because I, I mean, as an author, like all you can see are the nuts and bolts. You can't really see the forest for the trees. Um, and that's really, really hard. And then you hit a point, hopefully, and this is the point I always look forward to hitting when you're in those last polishing edits, when all of a sudden you realize that this thing, this mess that's come out of your head is now a book. And that it feels like a book and it feels like the kind of book that you could pick up and you could read and you could enjoy it as a reader. So what do you do? What do you do when you're stuck? (laughs) Um, Resist the urge to delete everything. I usually hit a point (laughs) where I'm like, let's just delete it all. And at that point, my friends are like, please step away from the computer and like, let's go to a movie. Everything will be fine. Um, I go work out. I get out. And I put myself, I actually put physical distance between me and the computer when mm-hmm. I get stuck. Well, you're known for writing fantasy, obviously, and, and YA fiction. I'm wondering, with fantasy, you know, there really aren't any rules. You can invent anything. Do you, do you have your own limits? Do you have your own, you know, okay, that would be jumping the shark or, or any set of thinking like that? I'm glad you said it because it's actually like one of my great pet peeves because there is this notion that fantasy equals a carte blanche and it's not true you know a good fantasy has just as many rules as good science fiction or good general fiction you have to have rules because you can really ask your readers to suspend disbelief for one step and anything past that you're going to start losing them and so the my goal is to make my worlds while they are fantasy as realistic and as grounded as possible and, and I lean into intuitive world building and um, systems that people could actually envision and see themselves in. I lean into accessibility because of that. Like the last thing I want is to ask my readers to make random leaps by suddenly adding dragons to the Shades of Magic series or something. You know, like I'm a very, very firm believer that all good fantasy follows rules. Hmm. What's the best advice you ever got about writing? (laughs) The best advice I ever got was actually advice about publishing. And the advice was, if you're in this long enough, everything that can happen will. The good and the bad, the highs and the lows. And that's something I was told at the very, very beginning of my career. And it really has sustained me because then when something bad does happen, and it always does happen, instead of being thrown, instead of letting that fear take over, you realize that it's a sign that you are in the game. You know, that like, this is the price that you pay for participation. And it's just one of those checks and balances, one of those ways to gauge whether you're doing something that you love. Victoria Schwab, what a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much. Victoria Schwab, author of Vicious, the Everyday Angel series, and most recently, A Conjuring of Light. The 10-Minute Writers' Workshop is a production of NHPR, produced by Sarah Plourd with help from Maureen McMurray. You can find us on Facebook and at 10-Minute Writers on Twitter. Music this week from Jazar. You can hear more quick bits of encouragement from the likes of Kelly Link, Joe Hill, Megan Abbott, and other seasoned writers when you subscribe to the 10-Minute Writer's Workshop on iTunes or Google Play. And if you like the podcast, please flex those writing muscles and leave us a review. Until next time, this is Virginia Prescott with the 10-Minute Writer's Workshop.
Can't keep up with the news? Try the Civics 101 podcast. I don't think politics is a dirty word. Politics is our values. This week on the podcast, from districts to circuits to Supreme, a primer on the federal court system. Sometimes they have to make decisions that they don't like, but they're upholding their oath to uphold the Constitution. Subscribe to Civics 101 and all of NHPR's podcasts on iTunes or Google Play. We're the first three words in the Constitution. We the people of the United States.